sing together. Um, this morning, I don't really know where to stand. Should I stand over here? No, over here. Over here? Okay. So our, we want to do a reading and a story this morning um, about a guy named Peter. I remember Peter was one of Jesus' best friends, right? Yeah. And what did we talk about last week and happened with, with Peter and the disciples of Jesus? Remember Jesus had been crucified, everybody was sad, they were walking home. Yeah, they figured out, they were walking with a stranger home, and they figured out along the way, as he explained to them from the Bible, what was supposed to happen with the Messiah, that they recognized him. Who was it, Grant? God. It was God, it was Jesus. Jesus was walking with him. Remember, that was our big idea. Jesus walks with us. Last week, remember? So he walks with them, and they go, and they spend a bunch of time in prayer. And as they're praying, God shows up in a special way. And remember, you guys already know this story, that Jesus sends the Spirit. Remember that? And after he sends the Spirit, in Acts chapter 3, this is what happens. One day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way into the temple for prayer meeting. At the same time, there was a man who was crippled from birth being carried up. So imagine being crippled from birth, meaning you could never, ever, ever walk. You could never walk. Somebody had to carry you everywhere. Like, that was who this guy was. He was just laying there, asking for people to give him money, asking for people to give him help. He'd been crippled his whole life. He couldn't walk at all. He couldn't do his chores. He couldn't clean his room. He couldn't go to work and get food, right? Every day he was set down at the temple gate the one named Beautiful, that's the name of the gate, to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout. Hey, will you guys give me something to eat, please? I'm hungry. Peter, with John at his side, looked him straight in the eye and said, Look here, look here, eyes on me, eyes on me. Peter says, Look here. And he looked up, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name. I don't have a dime to run together. I don't even have those little coins. I don't have that money. But what I do have, I give you. He says, in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. And in an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and walked. And everybody there saw him walking around and praising God. They recognized him as the one who sat begging at the temple's gate the temple's gate beautiful, and rubbed their eyes. They were astonished, scarcely believing what they were seeing. So Peter's just walking along. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's going to go pray together with the other, with the other disciples in the temple. This guy asks him for money. He says, I don't have any money, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And what happens? He gets up and walks. He hadn't walked ever. A whole day in his whole life he's never walked. And Peter picks him up and he starts walking. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So our big idea for our reading this morning is that Jesus loves others through me. It wasn't in the name of Peter that he healed him. It was in the name of Jesus that he healed him, right? So Jesus shows his love to other people through me. Can you guys help me come up with some hand signs for Jesus loves others through me? All right. All right, Jesus. All right, let's, let's call this one God. All right, let's say this is God. Do you guys know the sign language for Jesus? Have you ever heard that? Jesus. You put your middle finger to each palm. Jesus. Remember, because he was crucified. Jesus loves others through me. 
Through us. What are we? Are we us? We're me? Okay. Jesus loves others through me. That's good. Let's do it one more time. It kind of has a rhythm to it, doesn't it? Right. Jesus loves others through me. Now, how does Jesus love others through you? Are you going to pick up a, 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 a guy who hasn't walked before and teach him how to walk? It's going to be hard, but what if you're cleaning your room this week? And your brother's having a hard time, or your sister's having a hard time. How can Jesus love others through me when i got to clean up my room? You help them. Great job, Sadie. Pound it. Good job. Thank you, Kid Nation. You guys are awesome. Um, we're going to continue in singing now, all right? So if we'll stand and we'll all sing together. Good morning, church, and welcome to our neighbors. Uh, whether you're here this morning or watching us on the live stream from your, your quarantine barracks, we're glad you're here with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to be continuing in our series that we have called Abide. And I don't know if you, uh, if you have kids of this age enough that this is uh, a regular facet of your life, but perhaps you will remember. Um, the quicker is it? Okay, I didn't put any slides. It's been one of those weeks. Some mornings you have to put your shoes on twice. Because your pants get soaked with the dirty dishes in the sink. <clears throat> so, I don't know if you have enough of, um, uh, or if you have kids in your life enough that this is a regular thing where uh, occasionally you find yourself playing a game that we like to call Truth or Dare. Does anybody have kids that are going to play it? I know you, I know you guys play it. This is something we do in our Dare and Table occasionally. Truth or Dare. And the thing that I find interesting about this game is that you have an option. You can either tell the truth about something, or you can do a dare. Now, I don't know what your philosophy is. I don't know what your strategy is for how to play this game. Um, many of us, or at least my strategy growing up as a teenager when this happened, my strategy was not to play. This is not my game. I do not want to play. Um, my strategy today, however, is always tell the truth. because. I, can, I don't have any problem answering questions. Like, I don't have any problem telling the truth about like, uh, how I think about things. Like, I, like, I really I don't feel like I have anything to hide. And so the truth, or the truth question just is like, OK, that's not even threatening to me. The dare question, however, I have no idea what they're going to ask me to eat. <laughs> and I just am not OK with eating ketchup almost at all, but catch up on any weird stuff. I catch up on my ice cream or something like that. I'm not playing that game. So my, my strategy right now is always pick truth. Always. Because honestly, like at least with the caliber of players I'm playing with, the questions aren't real hard. <laughs> the truths aren't real hard. Do you love mommy? Mm, yes, I do. That is true. So but I, but I wonder, as, I, as I'm talking through that, I'm talking through, uh, talking through my strategy, I wonder which of those options is trickier for you. I can imagine that there are some people, and there are some people that I know, and I know well, who would say, no, actually, for me to tell the truth is riskier proposition than to 
to eat ketchup on my ice cream. I, there are things that I don't want people to know about me. There are things that people I don't want to know about in general. And so truth actually is the riskier thing. I will probably always go with the dare because at the very least it will be entertaining and hopefully not die threatening. But as we're looking, like, it's silly. It's really, really silly. And if you don't have younger kids in the house, maybe this isn't a regular part of your life. But it's something that I have thought is, is interesting. And as I'm reading in Acts chapter 3, it's something that comes to mind. This balance between telling the truth and walking out. This balance between uh, acting what you know the way in a specific way, and then also being able to articulate, being able to say what is true about what you're doing. And so we're going to come back and look at both sides of truth and dare. Um, and we're going to do it without visual aids this morning. Are we so excited? Woo! All right. Well, we don't have visual aids, but maybe after praying with it together, uh, praying through it together over the last year or so, um, we will have some of these words in our in our hearts. So I just invite you to pray with me as we begin. Um, and we'll pray together the disciples' prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So, if you'd open with me to Acts chapter 3, which is where uh, our reading was, and in the, in the blue Bibles that are here either under your chairs or under the chair in front of you, it's on page 1137, 1137, 1137, Acts chapter 3. Navigate there on the phone. Hey, now you can hear me. Great. Online, welcome. There was a great intro. Sorry you missed it. We're in Acts chapter 3. We're in Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. I'm just going to read a couple verses, but this is picking up where our reading um, with, the, with Kid Nation left off. So when it says, while he clung to Peter and John, he's talking about the man who was crippled for life that has just been able to walk. So Acts chapter 3, verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made them walk? So I'm going to pause there and we'll just talk about what's going on. So we just read this morning with Kid Nation about um, how Peter and John were going into the temple. They were going into the temple for a prayer meeting, and they saw a lame man, a man who couldn't walk. He had not been able to walk for his whole life. It seems like there was something wrong with the development of his legs. His ankles and his feet just didn't work right, and he couldn't walk. And he does what he does. He's asking for help. Hey, will you give me some alms? Will you give me some money so I can buy some food? And Peter says, hey, look at me. And as you go through the book of Acts, if you're reading it, Every time somebody says, look at me, it's, it's a key. 
Luke, Luke, this is a, a key. Remember, uh, Acts was written by Dr. Luke. And he's a real smart guy. He's putting things in order. But all through the book of Luke and all through the book of Acts, something monumental is getting ready to happen when somebody says, hey, look at me. So just a key word as you're you're reading it. He says, hey, look at me. I don't have anything. The message says, I don't have a nickel to my name. (laughs) I don't have any money. But what I do have, what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Walk. And he grabs him by the hand and picks him up and he walks. And so, now this guy is hanging on him. And everybody realizes, wait, this is, this is that lame guy that we have seen uh, for years. He's always sat in that same place. Hey, Grant, no, thank you. Put it down. <clears throat> he sat in that same place for years. And now we see him walking. And I wonder if some of them are like, I want my money back. I gave, he's been a bum for so long. Like, I can't, I've given him money. What's he doing walking around now? I thought he needs to go get a job. Like, and there are probably people who are like, I can't believe it. God healed him. Like, this is a miracle. This is a stunt. And you can imagine that different people can see the same event and have different perspectives on what's happening. And there's a crowd that's gathering around the temple complex. This uh, portico called Solomon's is just a name for the side of the temple that had archways and it had a roof. So I had a picture for you. Now I don't. But just imagine there's a porch and there's people on the porch by the steps and they see this guy who is healed that everybody knows who he is and everybody's gathering around trying to figure out, well, what is going on? And Peter sees a crowd is gathered He perceives, I think, this isn't in the text, but I think he perceives there's some confusion about how to interpret what has happened. It seems like maybe there were people in the crowd who now were like, Peter, you healed that guy. Like, you're the man. I got an aunt who has, has, she's got to have surgery. Like, like, heal her. You can see that this is getting ready to escalate. And so he stands up and says, look, guys, let me give you some clarity on what's happening. Why are y'all staring at me Like, we healed this guy because we're such good people. We didn't heal him by our power. We didn't heal him by our piety. It's not because we're good Jews. It's not because we're good Christians. It's not because we wear a suit and tie to church on on Saturday. It's not because of that. It's because of the power of Jesus. Well, we haven't read that part yet. He's getting there. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. I just ruined the whole thing for you. My bad. Anyway. The point is, there's an impromptu crowd that's gathering. There is some confusion about what do we do with this. And Peter stands up to give some clarity. And I just, it makes me wonder. In a time where people aren't necessarily gathering in big crowds together, but in a time where pockets of crowds gather online regularly, or we see pockets of gatherings in the news, I wonder if there's ever been a time in your life where something has happened to you and a crowd has gathered around you. In those moments where we see an impromptu crowd gathering, are we prepared to point to the truth amidst misunderstandings? There's a popular phrase, and I love the heart behind it, but I think it's misused. There's a popular phrase, preach the gospel with your life, and if necessary, use words. And the idea is, live out your Christian faith, and people are going to get it. They're going to understand where you're coming from. And you don't necessarily have to say anything. I, th- I love the sentiment behind it. But the, what that does, what people use that to do is say, I don't have to know how to talk about Jesus. I just live it out. 
But Peter's living it out. Man, he's healing people. But in the midst of a, a, a misunderstanding, in the midst of a gathered crowd, he stands up and says, let me give you clarity about what has happened. And are we prepared to point to the truth in moments where crowds gathered and everybody's chattering about what's going on? I wish they were all good circumstances for us. I wish crowds gathered around us when good things happened. I wish it was always a, a promotion or a raise. But sometimes it's a funeral. Sometimes it's another tragedy that we have a crowd gathered around us. And in those moments, good times or bad times, are we prepared to point to the truth amidst misunderstandings? Let's continue reading in, in verse 13. He's continuing. He says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So, he says, look, it wasn't by our piety. It's not because we know what to do. It's not because we prayed the right prayers. It's not any of that. It's because of faith in the name of Jesus. We are witnesses of Jesus. And do you notice how he's talking here? He says, you denied the Holy One. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. It's only been a couple of weeks since Jesus was crucified. 40-ish days. It's still, it's still probably front, front page on the newspapers, whatever the equivalent of newspapers were. People are still talking about this. And they're in, remember, they're in Jerusalem still, the place where all of that occurred. And so they're saying, look, you were part of this. This is, this is not an isolated incident that's in history. This is something that happened a couple of weeks ago, and some of you were a part of this. And you asked for Barabbas, somebody who you knew to be a murderer, to be released to you. And in exchange for a murderer, you killed the author of life. And in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. So Jesus entrusts his work to those who follow him. Now Jesus has entrusted his healing ministry to Peter. And Peter's walking it out, but he's not healing in the name of Peter. He's not, he's not out there like branding himself. He's saying, look, all you need to know is Jesus. And it's, it's, a, it's an old, like this isn't something new. This is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God of our fathers is doing this thing. You guys know what's going on. But you missed that Jesus is it. So will we trust Jesus for true life? Will we trust Jesus to do work in our heart that we can't do ourselves? Will we trust him to heal our spiritual needs? Well, we ask him to heal 
our physical needs, will we ask him to work in our lives? Will we trust Jesus? Let's continue in verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus said, the Lord God will, or Moses said, excuse me, verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So this is all according to God's plan, he says. He shows him from the scriptures. He argues from Moses. He says, this is all foretold. This is not something that I'm making up out of the blue. This was something that God was communicating a long time. So there's a, a small shift that's happening. It's very subtle if you don't realize that you're looking for it. So the Jews at this time had a pers perspective of, of Messiah, of the one that would save them. They thought that the Messiah who would save them was actually going to be two people at least. There was going to be a king that came and there was going to be a priest that came, a, a prophet figure. And they were looking for these two people and they, they didn't understand or what, what is happening here is Peter is explaining it's not that two people come, it's that one person comes to fulfill the whole thing but he comes twice. They didn't, there was something that was in the scriptures, and the way that they misread it, they thought it was going to be two people. But it wasn't two people, it was the same person coming twice. Because he said, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus has already come and gone. But God is going to send him again. This was something that they had missed in the scriptures. It says, look, the example that Jesus left for you is an example of suffering. That the Christ would come and suffer. It's something that you see as you look at these early sermons in the church. The thing that they were trying to communicate very clearly was the right faith does not exclude us from suffering. As a matter of fact, that's our big idea from the morning. God's plan for blessing does not bypass suffering. God's plan for blessing does not bypass suffering. In Abraham, who these men that he's talking to were descendants of, in Abraham, God said, I'll bless the whole world. But that path to blessing meant a significant amount of suffering for Christ, the depths of which we could spend a lifetime trying to plumb, trying to find the bottom of. There's suffering now, 
so that the times of refreshing may come. Yes, there's suffering, but there also is resurrection. And that is the keystone of the faith, is resurrection. He's talking to some people who are educated in the scriptures, and he's just reminding them, look, the same way Jesus said that the Pharisees have their rewards for practicing their faith in the open and trying to get everybody's attention, the Pharisees have their rewards. You can have your rewards in this life, but that means that the suffering comes later. And if you take the suffering now, that means there's a time of refreshing prepared for you. The fullness of our hope is not in this time. The fullness of our hope does not rest in our current government, whether that be in the United States or the United Kingdom or China. It doesn't matter what government we're under. The fullness of our hope doesn't rest here. So we can suffer well. We can be patient. We can live our lives in a quiet way that shows our faith, and we can be ready to offer clarification as to why we are the way we are and give clarity to point to the truth. Because God's plan for blessing doesn't bypass suffering. That's kind of strong, Michael. That's kind of strong. Peter's just preaching. He's just saying, he's just saying words. Nothing bad's happened to Peter. He's not suffering. The, the lame guy, he's not suffering. He's, he's walking, he's running, he's singing, he's praising Jesus. Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men who came to about 5,000. Peter and John were arrested for pointing to the truth. God's plan for blessing does not bypass suffering. It is not the last time that they will be arrested. It's not the last time they'll be beat for telling people that Jesus was raised from the dead and we can have confidence that we also will be raised from the dead because Jesus did it first. And everything that he's purchased, he gives to us freely because God's plan for blessing does not bypass suffering. Peter will write later in a letter that we have we call 1 Peter that Christians ought to suffer for doing good. There is, a, there is a suffering for doing something that's wrong, in which case, don't do the wrong, you dummy. But if you're doing the right thing, if you're, if you're pointing people to truth, if you're, if you're trying to exhibit the life and love of Jesus to other people and you get persecuted for that, welcome to the club. God's plan for blessing does not bypass suffering, so will we church stand as witnesses to Jesus' unmerited kindness.
It's not because of our own piety. It's not because of our own power. It's not because I know how to put on a button-up suit and dress the right way when I go to church. Unmerited. We didn't earn it. Kindness. Grace. Will we stand as witnesses to Jesus' unmerited kindness? Regardless of what that stance costs us. Because God's plan for blessing does not bypass suffering. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we need you. I'm tempted to say we need you now more than ever, but you know us. We've always needed you all the way. We've never not needed you. We want to follow you, Jesus. And you've shown us that you've entrusted your work to those who want to follow you. And so, God, would you help us to be about your work? Would you show us how to love like you, how to suffer like you do? Would you fill us with the hope that filled your heart? Would you, would you give us a vision of your kingdom that will sustain us through the darkest nights of our soul? Would you show us the way? And wherever it is that you lead us, we'll go. You have our yes. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.